Workers are injured on the job every day. These injuries can often result in missed work days, poor worker attitudes, and high turnover rates, even enforcement actions from OSHA. The good news is that the world of safety in the workplace is changing. Safety is no longer something your employer tells you to do, but is becoming more of a phenomenon where safety is weaved into the everyday behavior and mindset of all employees. Hello, and welcome to EHS on Tap, an environmental health and safety podcast brought to you by VLR. I'm your host, Emily Remmel. On each episode of EHS on Tap, we will discuss emerging legal, regulatory, and policy issues with industry experts on the impacts to everyday environmental and safety professionals. EHS on Tap will run the gamut of contemporary environmental issues, including water, air, and waste, and cover a wide variety of safety issues. On this episode, Safety Culture, From Concept to Action, we speak with Sean Galloway, the president and COO of Proact Safety, about incorporating safety culture in the workplace. Sean has authored several best-selling books and is a columnist for a variety of magazines. He helps organizations achieve and sustain safety excellence, and he's definitely recognized as a leader in the safety world. Okay, so let's get started with today's podcast, um, all about safety culture. So, Sean, what do you consider... um, safety culture in the broad picture, or how would you define safety culture for the average listener? Well, I guess I'll first start with what is culture, and then we'll talk about safety culture. Uh, A lot of people say culture is what people do and nobody's looking. I think it's an artifact of culture. I've also heard culture is what we allow to happen. Really what culture is, is culture is what's common. So you have organizational cultures, you have country-specific cultures, but culture really is what's common. But the other thing to think about is that your culture, all organizations have a culture, at least if they've been in operation for a little while, they have common beliefs, they have common behaviors, there's common stories that are told within the organization. So culture is, is what's common, but culture also is a byproduct and, and this is part of the confusion that hopefully we'll be able to get to in today's conversation. You can't manage results. You can't really manage the culture because culture is a result. You have to manage, you have to influence the items that create the culture, just like perceptions. When organizations do perception surveys, and, and we've executed thousands of them, perception surveys are actually a lagging indicator if you think about it because they're information about beliefs that already exist. Now, what would be leading to that are the experiences that create the culture, just like behaviors can't ever be a root cause of an injury because there's always a reason for the behavior. There's something that influences. So behaviors are a byproduct. So culture really is its what's common, but it's also a byproduct. I'm, I'm fond of what Peter Drucker said, the late management guru. He said your organizational systems are perfectly designed to give you the results you're currently receiving. So all organizations have this culture, but when we start looking at safety culture, you know, there's two sides to the discussion. Some people say, you know, you have to go out and you have to create safety culture. Other people say that there's no such thing as safety culture. So th- there's some validity to that latter statement because, because you know, there are elements of the organization specific to safety that exist. So example, there's common safety beliefs, there's common safety behaviors in an organization. So everybody has a safety culture, whether we want to call it that or not, or or we want to say everybody has common beliefs around safety in their organization. But 
but when you look at what culture is, is what's common. So a safety culture are the common beliefs, the common behaviors, the common decisions, the common experiences, the common stories that occur in the organization. But what we really need to look at is how do we evolve the safety culture we have? Just like everybody has a culture, everybody has common safety beliefs. So it's not about, I see a lot of people focusing, we need to create a safety culture. The fact is everybody has one. Could it be better? Absolutely. And it should be because our thinking always is going to evolve. So building on how safety can be better and, and, and encompassed within the culture of an everyday workplace, safety culture can be considered an added value where employers or businesses directly invest in safety measures to, for example, lower worker injury or reduce enforcement, enforcement costs as well as uh, indirectly build worker trust and perhaps worker morale. Could you speak more about the benefits of instilling uh, or evolving, as you mentioned, a safety culture in the workplace? Well, when you look at when you look at the elements that really make up a culture, and the, the way that I'm going to I'm going to answer this question, but I, I first want to take one step back. When you when you look at a culture, uh, safety or otherwise, an operational, everybody has a quality culture. For example, customer service type of culture. But growing a culture is kind of like growing a plant. You can't sit there and say grow. <laughs> you have to. You have to manage the elements that allow for conducive growing environments. You have to have the right conditions, but you also have the right have to have the right climate and chemistry. So what we look at when we're, when we're talking about this is that when we're looking at, at climate and chemistry, a, a safety climate is about commitment. It's about caring, cooperation, coaching. Those are the four pillars we focus on with, with safety climate. But when you look at the chemistry, what we concentrate on are the passion for safety excellence, focus, expectations. Do people know precisely what their expectations are? Not just the results, but what it takes to yield the results. Proactive accountability, uh, reinforcement, the right things are being reinforced. We're maintaining a sense of vulnerability. In other words, we, we can be great, but we know there's always a chance to have an injury. There's always a way that we can be better. Good communication. Uh, we measure the right things. We measure what we want rather than what we don't want. And trust is the glue, it's the bonding agent to make at least what we call the elements of safety culture excellence work. So when you look at what's the benefit of that, I have yet to find an organization that communicates perfectly across all operating areas or operational areas, but does a poor job in safety. So really, this is where some of the debate about should you focus on safety culture, should you focus on culture, I think both sides have have a lot of strength to it because if you grow the culture, the safety elements should be a part of that. So what a lot of organizations do is they focus on growing the company culture because communicating well in safety benefits our quality efforts, our on-time delivery efforts. If we have trust, people aren't second-guessing, hidden agendas, all of those types of things, we build a stronger company. And it's and when, when you look at you know benefits to the organization, Companies that dominate the, their market share, they dominate in, in the marketplace, typically do so with a very highly engaged culture. So when you look at as companies try to evolve the market share, the market share we focus on within a company and our 16 book inside strategy, we focus a lot on this. But the market share within an organization is the attention share of the, work, of the workforce. So we're doing things that really deliver value. 
So I think there's two sides to it. That, you know, if you have a very strong culture, you have strong trust within your organization, your communicative organization, you know, you're able to win in the marketplace, but you're also able to get a lot more out of individuals. And it's nobody wants just a culture, or, no, or nobody should say excellence in a culture is defined by people always doing what they're required to do. Excellence more is focusing on there's a high level of discretionary effort that's willing that people are willing to provide to the organization without constant prodding. So I think that the benefits of the organization is not just cost, but companies with strong cultures outperform in the marketplace, and correspondingly, they're able to get a lot more out of people without more rules, policies, and procedures. I see. So it's it could be considered more performance-driven um, based on what you just said rather than uh, just doing it just to just to do it. So this might be... Well, oh, go ahead. Great point. No, 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 great point. Um, so this might this next question might be a little bit uh, uh, going back. Um, where would you say the idea of safety culture originated? You know, was there a specific... Can you, can you think of a specific situation or occurrence that uh, drove businesses to say, um, hey, you know, we should invest more money um, and time in safety within our organization? Well, in safety, the two common events that occur that is, is kind of the go-to points in time that the discussion started around safety culture was the Challenger explosion and Chernobyl. So January of 1986, we lost the space shuttle Challenger, and in March of 1986, Chernobyl occurred. With those two major events, that's when the term safety culture started bubbling to the surface, if you will. People started realizing that it's not just individual error. It's not just workplace conditions. And from a safety perspective, with the with the creation of OSHA in, in 1970, a lot of the effort in safety, rightfully so, and should always start here, focused on conditional safety. So, if, you know, general duty clause, employers must provide a safe work environment. Then in the late 70s, work with people like Judy Kamaki and, and several others, we started discovering that there, it's not just the environment, it's also what people do within the environment. So there's behaviors also that can prevent injuries and incidents. So when these two major events occurred, that's when people started looking at collectively, well, what are the behaviors, what are the decisions? And it wasn't just these were unique outlier individual decisions being made, these decisions were becoming common, and these influences on the decision were becoming common. So from a safety perspective, that's where people really started looking at it. From a business perspective, not just safety, I, I don't have any data that supports this. My belief is, as we've become more global in our operations, and as com companies are expanding into different nationalities and different parts of the world, we started realizing that it's certain cultures are more conducive to certain approaches in business and safety. So we started realizing that, you know, how people believe what they do. Uh, I have clients that I have one, one individual I was speaking with last week, as a matter of fact, I was speaking at, a, at an ASSC event, we were talking about this afterwards, that their incentive program in this particular company and in, in a place in Vietnam right now, their incentive program is, is providing employee socks. 
Now, that sounds odd, but in this particular part of Vietnam, people aren't used to wearing shoes that often. And if they do wear shoes, it's mostly sandals. And now the company policy is they have to wear shoes or steel toe shoes, but they're not wearing socks. So they're getting blisters and they're, and they're having these injuries. So now they're trying to encourage people to wear socks. So in certain parts of the world, it's not common to wear socks. So as we started operating globally, my belief is we started seeing these differences and we started realizing that that you know the culture is the most effective sustainability mechanism in any organization and it can also be the biggest hindrance sometimes in getting advanced things to occur within a company so we started to realize that we need to address these things that are common if we want different results but from a safety perspective primarily it was challenger and chernobyl 30 years ago that prompted that yeah that's that's interesting that you can pinpoint uh, those two events, in, and like you said, thirty—you know—we're thirty years into that by now. Um, and, and there's still a lot of confusion about safety culture. That, that's what's interesting. Yeah, You're exactly right. We're thirty years into <laughs> it, and how we define and how we approach it is is still all over the place. Yes, yes, still a debate. So, another question: Would you consider safety culture to be more of a top-down or bottom-up phenomenon? And in, in other words, do you think commitment from upper management or executives um, is more important to driving safety culture or employee engagement from the bottom up? Well, holistically, you know, it's it's both. It's, it's one of those chicken and egg things where you start. Where I think the biggest influence on the culture is actually at the frontline supervisory level. They set the culture for the workforce. It's what they do. And, and this is you know, this is one of the things that was identified in the Baker panel report of the Texas City explosion in March of 2005 that, that killed 15 people and injured over 100, that they found that the supervisors were censoring with a C the flow of information up and down the organization rather than censoring with an S saying, what does my boss need to know or what do I need to make sure I communicate to the employees? Sometimes supervisors don't realize they're being communicated through, not to. So that's what's led to more and more organizations trying to align the supervisors to make sure that they're creating the right culture in the organization. But, you know, back to the specifics of your question, uh, you know, it, it's both. The largest part of most cultures are the employee workforce. And culture change, just as a fact, culture change happens best from within. So if you can grow the culture, if there's ownership in the culture, uh, Dr. W. Edwards Deming, one of his principles is people support what they help to create. If you want people to support the growth of the culture, they need to have a role in creating it. But that doesn't mean you turn everything over to the workforce and say, define where we're going, group. That needs to be defined by the executive leaders in the organization. They need to define, and more than just the mission, vision, value stuff, they need to define where we're going. They need to define what it's going to look like when we get there. They need to define where we're at against that ideal plan, and they need to have some input in these strategic priorities that are going to close those specific gaps, but also employees, anybody, to have to see themselves as actors in that strategy to enhance the culture, but they also have to have a role in making some of those choices. So the executives need to define where we're going, and that also from a cultural perspective, has to complement the, the trajectory of the business. If it's growth through acquisitions or, or organic growth, 
you know, the culture that we're creating has to support where we're going as an organization. And that's been a problem in safety because the safety strategy hasn't always been part and parcel with the business strategy. Unfortunately, sometimes people let it be a conflicting strategy, so it's kind of safety versus production mentality in some organizations. But in summary, the executive leadership team, they need to start to develop the strategy around where we're going from a cultural perspective, but there needs to be input and and ownership opportunities from within the culture and making some of those choices of how we're going to get better. Interesting. So based on on your response just now, I I would assume that it like you said, it's a holistic approach and it, it takes both the supervisors, the top upper echelon management, as well as the employees themselves. So really, if you were to walk into a workplace environment tomorrow, who would be the driver? Would it be the employee that says um, to his CEO or COO or I'm, I'm not feeling the safety culture in this X business can we promote that from within? Can we get this started? Or would it be more of the upper management saying, hey, we, we need to do more culture. We need to boost boost this from, you know, organically from the bottom up, but we're going to take a top-down approach and we're going to start there. Would that be, I guess my, my overall question is, where do you actually start when considering to build a safety culture? Well, I, I think it depends on the level of maturity and thinking and openness to input the organization. So CentOS, for example, they have a value that permeates throughout their business that they call positive discontent. What that means is we celebrate our successes and we know we can always be better. Shell, the the global organization Shell, they use the term chronic unease. And, you know, there's, there's positives and negatives about both of those types of statements. But what that means is, is that, you know, we, we believe that that you know, there's always something that can be improved upon. Now, those types of organizations are traditionally going to be more open to input from an employee or a supervisor or a manager. But you know, the fact of the matter is that people people pay attention to what the bosses pay attention to. So, if the bosses are paying attention to the employee input, if they're conducting things like skip level meetings where one manager, let's say department manager, skips the supervisor and periodically meets with the employees to make sure there's no filtering and communication and make sure his message or her message is being understood and they're receiving it. Those types of organizations are going to be open to input and realize the customers of our safety improvement efforts, the employees, contractors, they may be dissatisfied and something needs to change. But if this is not a business necessity, if the those with fiduciary responsibility in the organization don't see that this is something that could provide a competitive advantage, then the softer, fuzzy side of culture, which is still quite ambiguous, they, there's not a lot of hard, fast measurements around that. There's imprecise measurements, so it's harder for some people to really get their arms around that this is something that we need to do and build out the business case and the expected return on investment and everything. Right. But I think the organizations that are mature, I think it is an employee. You know, the way we always get better is by believing there's always a better way. Some companies use the term better practice rather than best practice because they fear if we adopt a best practice, we might stop looking for a better way, and there's always going to be a better way. So right. those organizations are going to maintain a bit of unease or positive discontent, and they're going to be open to the things. If that doesn't currently exist, then unfortunately it typically resides with the C 
senior leader in the organization that's going to be willing to sponsor this and set the tone and the priorities for the cascading leadership that this is where we're going and this is why and you need to get on board. But absent that and absent the unease and the positive discontent, uh, there can be a lot of dissatisfied people with the things we're doing in safety. But, it, you know, unfortunately there's no always answer that it starts here. It really depends on where the organization's at, how open they are, and how dissatisfied they are. So I'm assuming that for if you're a small business owner and you only have one or one safety guy in charge, it, it would start most likely with, with him. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing, that when we talk about safety as a values, safety's our value, all of that stuff, values are created when they're reinforced at or near the point of decision. So if safety is really going to become a value in an organization, then that means there are common beliefs that make it so, or common behaviors we observe that make it so. But you can't delegate a value. So you can't make safety the safety leader, part-time, full-time, whomever. You can't make safety their responsibility. Everybody has a role in creating it. That's why everybody has a culture, because the roles we've been playing as leaders, the behaviors that have been observed, have created the beliefs that, currently exist around safety so a small company you know you have limited resources you have limited people you can delegate to it it does reside with that senior or that owner of the organization and they need to step back a little bit kind of look at where they're going from a business plan and then start looking at what type of culture is going to get them there both externally and internally the results that they're after and part of that is is spending some some time alone or, or with counsel from somebody else and start to and start to delineate what beliefs do we want, what beliefs do we not want, what behaviors would we see, and, and starting to strive beyond just the ideal of zero injuries. And as a business owner, and saying I don't want any of my people to ever get hurt, and that's always going to be a goal. But you can't manage that result. You have to step back then and say, what would I, as a, as a business owner, what would I see that's common on a job site in my small factory or in my shop? What would I see people doing that tells me I should expect zero injuries? What would I see that's common? And that's where the business leader needs to, needs to start to focus from a cultural perspective, safety or otherwise. What do I want people to believe? What do I want them to know? What do I want them to do? What would I see people doing that tells me we're going in the right direction? And what would the storytelling be that, that tells me, you know what, we're doing the right thing? So as a leader, big company, small company, you own the perceptions of the people that exist in your organization. You're either managing the experiences that create desirable perceptions, which inform the decisions and behaviors, and or you're going to be managed by them. So as, as, a, as a small business, I would focus on what do I want people to believe and what am I doing to create those beliefs? What do I want people to do and what am I doing to manage and influence those behaviors? Am I saying something when I'm seeing people doing more of what would be great for my organization? Am I saying something just as often if I'm seeing otherwise, if I'm seeing undesirable behaviors? So as a small business, it really comes down to knowing where you're going and, and managing the performance to get you there. So we just mentioned small business owners, as well as I think you mentioned Cintas and Shell, some of the larger uh, businesses. Do you see a trend, and I also know that you mentioned this has been going on for about 30 years. Do you see a trend happening with safety culture uh, sort of across the board um, with both maybe smaller companies being more interested and larger companies sort of driving um, 
the landscape per se? Yeah, not as I'm. I'm seeing a trend, but a few data points didn't really create a trend yet. What I'm starting to see, and it's usually with more resource-rich environments, that, you know, smaller businesses not not as much just because of the lack of available resources. Mm-hmm. You know, there. You know, we. You know, we've we've had several books published on this topic, and we get requests from. You know, so I, I see a mixture of people that are requesting the to read and download the introductory chapter, and it's small businesses to many of the large businesses as well. So I'm I'm seeing interest in, in topics like this from a, a wide range of employee-sized organizations. But the trend that I'm starting to see develop more is companies thinking more strategic about it. And what we've had in the past, if you look at the average strategy within an organization's safety strategy. It's very program focused. There's a lot of buzzwords within it, but it's primarily concentrated on injury and incident prevention. If you look at the strategy, what they're doing, the goals that they've set, the initiatives they're executing on, how they're measuring progress and value add, it's primarily injury and incident prevention. And I get that. That makes sense. You should start there. But the company, the, the trend to answer your question, the trend I'm starting to see is organizations taking a much more strategic approach to their culture. You know, Drucker pointed also out that your culture eats strategy for breakfast. You could have a great strategy, but the culture is going to work against you or work with you. In the military, they taught me that all strategy, all strategies are successful until they reach the enemy because the enemy hasn't voted yet. You know, Mike Tyson, the great philosopher and boxer, he says everybody's got a plan so they get punched in the face. <laughs> You know, the, the things that work against us sometimes are, are the culture. So the trend I'm starting to see more and more of is organizations strategically managing the things that create the culture that they're after. So when I'm looking at some of the more advanced thinking organizations and I look at their strategy, it contains components of cultural targets rather than just injury and incident prevention efforts, which is exactly where things should be going because at the same time we're trying to implement our injury and incident prevention efforts, we have to be implementing efforts to ensure the culture will support it and will continue to enhance because back to my earlier statement, the culture is the sustainability mechanism. If we're implementing things within an organization, people just don't see value in or our efforts inadvertently disengage the very people whose engagement is critical. We're not winning in safety. We're failing the customers in safety. Yes, we may be preventing fewer injuries, but we end up with a culture of have to rather than a culture of want to. So the trend I'm starting to see a little bit more of, but not as much as I would like, is managing the culture or the elements that create it as a part of their HSC health safety environmental strategy. So perhaps you already answered my next question. but building on the strategy aspect that you just mentioned, maybe this will spark another, uh, another avenue. What are some of the biggest challenges um, or barriers in considering safety culture in your workplace? Good question. I would probably, the first thing that I, would, that I started with is realizing we already have a culture. And I've seen I've seen this I've seen this be a hindrance to organizations that they're they're trying to move forward and address their safety culture by trying a lot of new things without realize without realizing where do you have a culture that exists here? There are beliefs that have been created over years 
there are behaviors that are occurring because of the things that they've observed over a year. So we first have to realize that we already have one. Uh, second one I would say is ensuring is, is, as far as a challenge, is it not being well integrated with the overall business strategy. And I'll give you an example. I'll give you two company examples. We had one organization where uh, I've done a lot of mergers and acquisitions work within corporations, and the companies that are really ahead of the curve, the safety is usually one of the first focal points in merging two organizations together, which if we could start with something as important as safety, the other areas are going to be easier is kind of the mindset. I think it's a great mindset to have. But one organization that comes to mind, safety was not at all part of the due diligence process. So they were, it, was, it was primarily a financial decision, which often it is, but they acquired another very large entity. They called it a merger, but it was an acquisition of another very large entity, and no due diligence was performed to look at not just the incident rates and record keeping and everything, but the culture. So they had a pretty large mess that they had to clean up, and, and this particular company is about three, four years into it, and they're still working on aligning the culture with a lot of resistance that they're facing. Uh, another organization, the safety strategy was quite aggressive, and it, it was so aggressive that it hindered the acquisition process. And at the end of the day, if safety strategy versus business strategy, we know which one's going to win. And, and it did. The business strategy prevailed. So I think the alignment with safety strategy and business strategy, they have to support one another. Michael Porter out of Harvard, he says that strategy is fit among the company's activities. So the things we do we do together, safety, business, quality, they all have to fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think another thing that's a challenge is, is just the lack of support that, that leaders, the, the maturity in thinking hasn't really gotten there yet. You could have, you could have an organ, you could have a great safety strategist employed within an organization of any size. And this is somebody who's a guru in thinking. They're just, they're not just a taskmaster. They're really evolving the thinking and, and they're looking 10 years out. And, and safety efforts, a great strategist. But at the level of thinking, the maturity and thinking and executives about, we, we need to measure more than just injuries is a prime example, or measure just more than the activities we're doing because we fall into that trap. We've done this, we had better results. Therefore, we had better results because we did these things. <laughs> no, not necessarily. You know, right. If the level of maturity and thinking isn't there, you know, that's going to be one of the reasons for lack of support, not intentionally, but because they just don't understand. So making sure the maturity level is there, you know, absent lacking a, a real effective strategy, which I've already talked about, I think one other thing that would be out there would be the tendency to search for the next program. And I think that's one of the things that can compromise or at least sub-optimize results and improvement efforts is people just go out and what's the next program? What's the next thing we can implement without really making sure does this, and that goes back to strategic thinking, does this new program get us closer to where we've agreed we're going? With data, how can we prove this is a strong value add and it's gonna really enhance our performance and results? So that kind of program thinking, searching for the next program, the next shiny thing that's out there, I think is another thing that challenges organizations or becomes a barrier at least. Interesting. So my last question for you today, Sean, is, you know, if companies are thinking of new programs, and this kind of builds on the last um, the barriers question, 
Does OSHA have uh, a role to play in evolving the safety mindset in terms of safety culture within a workplace? Well, I, th I think OSHA is trying to become more an advisor. Some people may respectfully laugh at that statement, yeah. but, but I think they're I think they're trying to become more of an advocacy advisor type of uh, type of group. That they're still punitive. A lot of the things that they focus on are still punitive. Uh, the the increase in reporting requirements I think still furthers the mindset that lagging indicators are the best measurements. And I, you know, I don't believe that they believe that, but that's what the interpretation of a lot of corporations now happens to be. Uh, I think the role they, they, they play isn't just in evolving requirements, which they're going to continue to do, and rightfully so. I would like to see OSHA playing more of a role in trying to produce or support or lead advanced thinking and concepts. Maybe not as a requirement, but an organization that's already a voluntary protection program, Starsight from OSHA, or already doing really well. You know, I'd, I'd like for to see from OSHA some advanced uh, discretionary things that they can provide to organizations that say, you know, you're already doing really well. Here are some advanced courses, even that the OSHA trainers and, and, and the regulatory folks that they can provide out there. I think they still need to hold certain organizations accountable for the things that we know lead to fatalities and severe injuries. Uh, but I'd, I'd like to go, I'd like to see that entity be more than just requirements based and focus on really helping evolving the thinking around safety. Right, more, more guidance and less, perhaps less regulatory enforcement. Yeah, and that's, you know, the, they have a budget, they have limited resources, mm -hmm. government budgets tend to get cut year after year so it, it's it's going to be a challenge you know i don't think it's going to be fixed you know if we look back in 2026 you know i think we'll unfortunately i think we'll still be asking the same question how can they help organizations be great in safety i, I don't see in the next five to ten years that that change is going to occur uh being a realist but i'm hopeful interesting well thank you sean do you have anything last closing statements or anything else that you would like to add to this uh episode of ehs on tap I think there's a lot of great resources out there, and, and with the with the availability of everybody sharing their thoughts for podcasts like this and articles, I think there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of content that's out there, and I, don't get lost in the content. There's a lot of great thinking. Uh, there's some not-so-good thinking that's out there, but there's a lot of thinking around this subject now that we're 30 years into it. I encourage you as your organization, don't just look for new thinking and try to implement it. First, define where you're going. Make sure that that is clearly understood. If you don't have everybody on the same page, get everybody on the same page on where you're going and where you're at. The programs, the advice, the ideas, the initiatives, all of those things are, are great. There's a lot of great stuff that's out there, but it has to support your strategy. So really my final comment is, is make sure you have an effective strategy that doesn't just focus on injury prevention, but also focuses on the culture that's going to sustain your efforts. Excellent. Well, that's all we have for on this episode of EHS on Tap. Thanks, Sean, for your expertise on the matter. If listeners would like to follow up with Sean, you can visit his website at proactsafety.com. Also, Sean will lead a session on methods and motivation at BLR's upcoming conference, Safety Culture 2016, which takes place September 15th and 16th in Austin, Texas. You can visit safetyculture.blr.com to learn how to register for this two-day event. 
focused on strategies for achieving safety excellent through cultural improvement. Plus, there's a new contest offering a chance at free tickets. So thank you, everyone, for listening, and that's all we have today.